What is up, Bible Stormers? Welcome back to the final part of the beginning three-part series of season six, where we're focusing on what you might have heard called the Godhead or the Godhood or the Trinity, and we're just calling it the Trinity for our purposes in this series, mainly because, as we've discussed in the previous two episodes, the test site for the atomic bomb was called Trinity in New Mexico. And Robert Oppenheimer's internal conflict relating to the ethical contours of that bomb has inspired in us a conversation alongside John Donne's poem that actually inspired the naming of the site to be Trinity. John Donne's poem entitled Holy Sonnet Number 14. So if you haven't heard it, or if you want to hear it again or look it up, then feel free to Google it. I'm pretty certain it's online. You can find it somewhere there. But in the poem, John, uh, John Donne also communicates some internal conflict regarding our God, our Trinity. And he prays that God would batter his heart, that God would overthrow him, that God would break him so that he would come to rest in this God. And in many ways, I, I admire and relate to and agree with the poem that John Donne wrote and the poem that inspired the Trinity test site's name. At the same time, though, I fear that parts of the poem reflect a deeper problem that is another internal conflict. And this one is one that I relate to very deeply, and I think you might as well. And that is the internal conflict of our relation with our God. How does this work? Should we relate to God in the same internally conflicting but ultimately anxious way of John Donne, of Robert Oppenheimer? Should scarcity be what binds us to our God? Should fear be what drives us to him or should something else? Well, that's our question. And in the last episode, we talked about how God is love and what that means for the character of God. I don't think you, you'll you want to dive into this one without hearing that one. So if you haven't yet, go back and listen to it. But in this episode, the question becomes real. How should we relate to our God? And I am suggesting that the fact that God is a community of love, that God is love and God is Trinity, and God is a community of love, means that our attachment to God does not have to be born out of scarcity, out of anxiety, out of fear. You might have heard of attachment styles. I'm definitely not an expert on this, but um, you, can, you can look it up and read a lot on it. It's all over. Um, and you can take quizzes to find out what your attachment style is. A lot of it has to do with how you were raised and how your parents treated you. Uh, or whoever was raising you, treated you. And essentially, it tells you how you relate to other people, how you attach to other people, especially to the people who are closest to you in your life. It's very insightful, very helpful, in my opinion. But the most basic that I've seen uh, breakdown of the attachment styles are either anxious or avoidant or secure. I can attach to you if we if we are in a deep uh, friendship or whatever. I can attach to you in, in an anxious way where I'm always anxious 
about, or I default to an anxious uh, perception of our relationship, where if you don't text me back within 0.3 seconds, then I'm wondering where I stand with you. And by the way, as you know, if you're friends with me, the texting back thing really doesn't mean anything about how how much I care about you. (laughs) I promise. If you are one of my friends and you are listening to this and I haven't texted you back in multiple years, please feel free to text me. And I might not text you back again for another few years. That's just, I don't know what it is. That's something deep down in my psychology, I guess. <laughs> something, man, I just have, I have a lot of texts right now that I need to respond to. I shouldn't be here talking with you guys. I should probably be texting people back. But anyway, it doesn't have anything to do with how much I care about you, generally speaking. <laughs> but if, if I relate to you out of anxiety, then I might be stressing out about you're not texting me back within my comfortable limits. Or if I relate to you in an avoidant type way, then I might actually keep you at a distance to make it feel safe for me. And, you know, I'm not going to go too far into the psychology that I don't understand, but I think a lot of this has to do with, like I said, how you were treated as a child. And if your parents were anxious toward you, then you're more likely to attach anxiously as an adult. And same thing with avoidant. If your parents really didn't pay the attention to you that you needed and give you the care that you needed, then you're more likely to be avoidant as you attach with people. And uh, once again, this is the most simplistic version of this, but the third option is to be secure in your attachment with others. And secure definitely does not mean perfect, but it is the preferable option of the three where we feel secure in our relationship and our attachment to people. And it doesn't have to do with a whim. It doesn't have to do mainly with manipulation or control of each other, but we're secure in how we relate to each other. I say all that to say, I wonder if many Christians relate to God out of either anxiety or avoidance. I'm anxious about God, how he feels about me, what he's saying about me, maybe what he will say to me. I'm anxious about it. And that's the main reason why I obey him, why I follow him, why I consider myself a Christian. Or I view God as someone that, you know, I kind of want, I kind of want around. (laughs) I feel like I have to be around, but I want him at a distance, maybe. You know, I want to have a little freedom. Um, I feel safer that way, where I'm kind of the one in control of this relationship. I'm mainly talking about the first of those right now, anxiety and anxious attachment to God. And I want to encourage you that given the fact that God is love, given the fact that God is Trinity, that he is a community of love, our attachment to him doesn't have to be born out of anxiety, out of scarcity, out of fear. The fact that God is love, that, that, the one who is upholding reality itself is love means that we don't have to live as though the universe is against us. Yes, people are the worst sometimes, right? Sometimes people like Daniel don't text you back for several years. And no doubt this world is a heartbreakingly broken and painful place. You don't need me to tell you that. And absolutely, your church your community, your family, your friend group, your country, whatever, is far from perfect. But at the same time, beneath it all is an undercurrent of love. And governing it all 
is the community who is love. And the goal of it all is set and will be accomplished by that love. Paul tells us in Ephesians 1 that God has this master plan to unite everything in Christ. It's this master evil scheme of love (laughs) where he's trying to unite and will unite everything in Christ. That goal will be accomplished by this community of love. So don't go to church. Don't give for your family, sacrifice for your family. Don't serve in your community. Don't tell the truth on your taxes. Don't be baptized because God is an evil puppet master who's dangling you over the fires of hell. Do those things, but don't do it for that reason. At least it's my prayer for you that you don't have to. Don't pray because on the other end is a family member who makes passive aggressive comments when you don't call (laughs) and you know, you're going to have to see them at Thanksgiving and they're going to say something about how you haven't called them in a year and you know, it's going to be awkward. And so you have to give them a call every once in a while. Don't pray because of that. Don't be a Christian because the Christian God hates you. Relate to him out of abundance, out of security, out of love, because that is who he is. And that is how his character demands that we relate to him, not demands in a coercive way, but demands in a beautifully compelling way. Talk with him because that community of love draws you in with its acceptance, with its generosity, with its compassion toward you, no matter what. And be a Christian because you have God for you, the Father. You have God alongside you, the Son. You have God in you, the Spirit. And that that community of love, that trinity, welcomes you into its warm embrace. And that, that spiritual embrace changes how we experience life. You know, when I was thinking about how I want you to take these thoughts, how I hope it affects your life, your relationship with God, I thought about Kevin in Home Alone, (laughs) one of the greatest movies of all time. I believe it's in the first one where his parents have uh, left and he is home alone. He's hiding underneath the bed. It's scary, right? But then he, all of a sudden, he decides to get up and he runs outside into this empty street of his neighborhood. It's cold. There's snow everywhere. And he just yells out, I'm not afraid anymore. Hey, I'm not afraid anymore. I said, I'm not afraid anymore. Do you hear me? I'm not afraid anymore. And he just keeps repeating this, screaming it out into the air. And I don't know why, but that image came to my mind as I think um, through these thoughts, because I think the reality that the Trinity invites us into is walking out into the world and saying, I'm not afraid anymore. (laughs) That's our reality now, because we know who is over all of this. We know who's under all of this. We know who the Alpha and the Omega is, right? The one who's at the beginning, the one who's at the end, we know him. And he's love. He's a community of love. He invites us into this reality of Kevin from Home Alone, right? And if you remember from the movie, the very next thing that happens, I mean, Kevin is yelling out into the street, but the very next thing that happens is he turns and he sees his terrifying old neighbor with his gigantic snow shovel, who Kevin has been convinced is a murderer, a brutal murderer. And Kevin is home alone. He's out in the street. There's no one else around. He has no protection. 
And right after screaming, I'm not afraid anymore, over and over again, the very next picture in the movie is of Kevin absolutely screaming his face off. And I think that's also relatable for us because no matter how loving our God is, no matter how much we want to adjust to that reality, we're going to have moments where our scary neighbor is right beside us with a gigantic snow shovel. And that's terrifying. Objectively speaking, that's horrifying. (laughs) So this isn't going to happen right away. Life isn't that simple. You know, your life, mine isn't going to change from this one podcast. But I wanted to discuss this with you as an option for how we can view the world. We don't have to view it as a nuclear power ready to blow up in our faces. We can view it as a place that's charged with the love of God, empowering us to love each other every day. We can view God, not like John Donne, not like a deity who requires a daily beating to keep us in line, but we can trust and know this community of love that's inviting us into its arms. We can view the Trinity not as a problem to be solved or a bully to be outsmarted or a box to be checked, but as the category shattering foundation and pattern of it all. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, it repeats and says that God is love, but then it says, and whoever abides in, in love abides in God and God abides in him. That's radical to me. Whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. If we read that somewhere else, I mean, (laughs) I don't think I would necessarily take it too seriously. Whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. That's convicting for me. But this is Trinity. This is our reality. This is our relationship. This is our God. Abiding in love is abiding in him. And that means that God is abiding in us. In Romans 5 and verse 5, it tells us that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I really don't have anything to add to that. It's just such a powerful text. And one of my worries with this podcast series is that it might seem overly sentimental, overly feminine, soft, weak, whatever you want to put there, according to traditional categories. But as I think on this, I think far from being feminine or masculine or or poxed into whatever categories we want to shove it in, the Trinity breaks our categories. It has power that the atomic bomb can't begin to touch. But that power expresses itself by giving itself up. That is true strength. It has the justice of the strong right arm of the law, right? But it keeps on doing everything it can to keep us from being hurt by our own sins. That's true justice. And it literally is holier than thou, right? Our Trinity is holier than any of us. But instead of turning its nose up at us, it rubs its nose in the very dirt that we don't even want to get into. That's true goodness. And that's our God. That's the Father for us, the Son alongside us, the Spirit within us. That's our Trinity. And that is a mystery 
that we can Bible storm on for the rest of time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on the Scattered Abroad Network. We are grateful for your continued support as well as your continued prayers. If you would like to find out more about our network, please visit our website at scatteredabroad.org. We look forward to studying with you again soon. May God bless you.